This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to New Books in Psychoanalysis. My name is Tracy Morgan, your host for today um, from the New Books. Uh, New Books in Psychoanalysis is a part of the New Books Network. I frequently forget to say that. I uh, can't believe I've not yet been reprimanded. But um, anyway, today we're going to be speaking uh, with Emma Lieber about her book, The Writing Cure. And um, this interview has been like a year, more than a year in the making. Um, I requested the book from Emma. I noticed in my emails, uh, it was like February of 2021. So I've um, been working on this book and reading this book and thinking about this book um, throughout the course um, of a year, sometimes not having read it, just thinking about um, having to get get to sit myself down to read it. Um, I don't like to write. So I had a lot of feelings about this title. Anyway, um, enough about me for the moment. Emma Lieber, um, let me just give an introduction. She's a psychoanalyst in private practice in New York, New York City, that is. And she's also part-time faculty in literary studies at Eugene Lang College. Um, she's the author of The Writing Cure, which we'll speak about today, published by Bloomsbury in 2020, and the co-editor with Anna Fishzan of The Queerness of Childhood, Essays from the Other Side of the Looking Glass, coming out coming out at Palgrave 2022. It is 2022. Okay. Um, her writing has also appeared in The Point Magazine, Lit Hub, The New England Review, The Massachusetts Review, various academic and psychoanalytic publications, and we're delighted to um, have Emma, to have you here um, with us. So welcome to New Books and Psychoanalysis at last. Thanks, Tracy. I'm happy yeah. to be here. Yeah. So um, usually I, I like to ask the question, what motivated the writing of this book? But I have a feeling because this is a book that um, is a piece of auto theory. And uh, this is a book that is an analyst writing in part about her analysis. Um, that question ju- just does seem overdetermined, but should I ask it anyway? What motivated you to write this book? Sure. You know, I mean, it is, (laughs) it's the question that the book itself poses and, you know, and then sort of answers and refuses to answer. Um, But, you know, the book was motivated. I mean, it's overdetermined, as you say, but um, 
it came at a time in my analysis when I sort of was feeling very strongly that something had to be written um, and that something had to be written both for something of the course of my own analysis as I understood it and then also for my formation as an analyst, which of course, you know, the two things were intertwined with each other. Um, but, you know, and, you know, in thinking about why something had to be written, you know, certainly for me, there's something about my, um, you know, feelings about myself as a writer, my identification with a, uh, as a writer, uh, my fantasies about writing, uh, my fantasies about what a book is. Um, uh, and there was something about, you know, that the the analysis in some way I felt had to produce a kind of writing um, and in order for it to continue and in order for my formation as an analyst to move forward, something had to be written, but I really didn't have any sense of what it was. Um, and I, you know, I wrote about this a little bit in the book, but I had been sort of working very ambivalently for a very long time um, on another book. Uh, I had been, you know, I'd been a literary scholar before, um, starting my formation as an, as a psychoanalyst and, um, you know, which I was very passionate about and very interested in, but, uh, I had a very strong sense as I was sort of working on this other book that there was something about the kind of writing that I had been doing for a very long time as an academic, um, that, uh, wasn't going to work for me moving forward. It wasn't going to work for me, um, as an analyst and that there was, some kind of new writing position that I was going to need to find that was going to foster um, whatever it meant to me to be an analyst and whatever new position in the social um, it it was it meant uh, to be an uh, to be an analyst. So it was very clear to me that um, I couldn't continue to just write academically. That I needed to I needed to write something about psychoanalysis and about my experience of analysis, but that I also needed to find a new genre of writing for myself. Um, and, you know, I, I think you mentioned this, that this, you know, it's the, the genre that I came to was, was, um, you know, can be broadly understood as auto theory, which is, you know, a, a, a kind of movement um, in writing that has, existed in one way or another for a very long time, but has, has gotten a name fairly recently in the last, let's say, maybe 20 years or so, um, of texts that merge high critical theory and memoiristic writing. And it was really in the process of reading a lot of those texts by people like, um, whom I write about, like Maggie Nelson or Chris Krauss or Paul, Paul Preciado, that um, I felt that I had finally found a, a kind of writing position that did justice to um, the work of psychoanalysis as I wanted to transmit it. Um, and it started to seem possible to, um, to, to write in a new way and to, to find a new writing position that would allow me to then find the content of what, <laughs> whatever it is that I wanted to write. Um, but it, I really didn't know what was going to emerge once, once I sat, sat down. Well, that's the, that's the beauty of yours in analysis is I guess that, you know, sort of having that experience of not knowing what you're going to say and continuing to, in this case, write, not speak, but just to, to have enough of that under your 
um, on your belts, I guess, <laughs> you know, that, that, you know, that, you know, that experience that you can just keep, keep going. And you write about the, that. In fact, you tucked into like a deli or something to like, write. I could, I could see it. I was like, oh, okay. Right. Like, I have to get this down. And like, I was like, where, what, where is that deli with that little chair in the corner? And you're like, can I have a cup of coffee quick? <laughs> like, I have a minute, you know, and then you spend like some major ideas, you know, sort of themes, whatever, like, you know, sort of a, start to spill, um, to spill out. And it's an exciting um, moment in the book. And you write about sort of this moment for you in writing that you, um, you got, it's, I don't think you use the word rush. It's not quite the right word, but there's, um, and it's not, not quite throttling toward the end. I don't know what it, but there's a sense that there's a lot, like there's a, a motor and you feel, you feel this motor sort of, you know, just, just propelling you. Um, I was thinking about, um, uh, you know, in the book you, you convey that, that, you know, you were aware of an aspect of yourself that likes to know. Okay. And I, I also, I'm, I'm not a PhD, but I'm an MPhil. So I sat through my orals, right. As, as you write about sitting through your orals in your doctoral program and you're given a list and the list is impossible and it's meant to be impossible and to drive you kind of crazy, but you write about a desire to like, know to like really to, you know, be the one, like you're, you're going down these rabbit holes of like, you know, okay, what about Schopenhauer? What about, you know, and like on and on as if you could right. like, like the, get to the know end. it all. <laughs> yeah. As, like, right. as if I could get to the end. And of course, being an analyst is kind of the antithesis of that. Right. Like we're not, you know, we come in and we're like, mm, I don't know. And the patients either tell us, they tell us, you know, but, but, we don't know. And I had the thought of, you know, your desire to kind of cure yourself of the need to know, uh, and you're becoming an analyst as, as bearing, um, a strong relationship. Um, am, am I reading into something or am I, is that, is, would you say that that's, um, a part of your experience, I guess? I think totally. I, you know, I think that's a great, that's a great reading. I mean, I, I, you know, one thing I enjoyed writing that, that part of it, um, you know, because I, I kind of enjoyed uh, trying to document something of the absurdity of this <laughs> of this effort yeah, of trying to know as it's. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I know that feeling. It's like it was maddening. I was it's like, oh, maddening. there's always more to know. <laughs> no, and you you fall into these. I mean, you just you, you're tracking yourself doing these absurd absurd things. You know, Wikipedia search after Wikipedia search, and and it you know. It's it's the way signification works, right? This is you know this is the mm. joke that you can't read an entry in the dictionary without having to read the you know the next entry in the dictionary to define the word that you, you don't know in the first entry, and it it mm-hmm. keeps going and going and going, and um you know and but the the that the point of an analysis is to shift one's position vis a vis that ongoingness such that it becomes not a horror, um mm-hmm. but the very condition of one's life that that moving on is the is precisely the action of also of desire and if you can get on mm-hmm. board with that then you can learn mm-hmm. how to live <laughs> um right right so, right, right. Yeah. but i think you know i think one thing i can say is that i was always i was at least always quite aware that there was something absurd about this endeavor and that it was making me ill um <laughs> that the, you know yeah <laughs> so in a way, you know, I I think I went into analysis to cure me to to cure me of something of that um, something about knowledge, something about knowledge as the academy 
was working on me. Uh, you know, I don't think it works on everybody in this way, but that's how it was working on me. Um, and to, you know, to find a way to, to, to live, right, to live precisely in that ongoingness rather than be suffering from it. Um, but you're right that also that that's, that then was the experience of, of writing is that it was just this kind of forward movement, um, you know, uh, this forward movement onward where I didn't know where it was going, but I felt very, very compelled, um, compelled to keep working with language and to, to keep sort of swimming within the language. And that that very much is um, part of the experience of analysis. I mean, that's what it felt like to enter analysis for me. That's what it, analysis can feel like at certain times, although it doesn't always. Um, but that there was something motoring it and I didn't know quite what it was, but it was something that I at least trusted had a certain logic um, and that I, I was there to kind of try to, <laughs> to do a kind of justice to the logic or, or let it work through me. Um, you know, there's something interesting because also, you know, to the extent that, I mean, the book is, is asking a question about my analysis. It's asking a question about the, the sort of the act of analysis generally about the transmission of analysis, about formation. Um, but it's also something, um, you know, it's asking something about writing and psychoanalysis and what the two have to do with each other, um, you know, which is a question that I'm interested in generally, but also, you know, a very personal question for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking, I wrote down a couple of questions about that I was like oh what what can writing cure what did writing cure in you um you, you know if you care to say more about that um I, I think that the um, audience would be quite curious because to add one little thing I was thinking that I've had the experience over the years of patients you know kind of coming in for the first consultation and they've told me that they've been trying to write their way out of their situation right like been writing They've been writing. They've been writing for many years, and um, then there's a moment when the, <laughs> you're, you're, you've described sort of not quite a reverse situation, but the writing didn't work. They needed to speak, and but you you're you're working on another idea. I think you're doing it. And who told me you're doing something about for division? What are you mm -hmm. do, What are you doing? Can you uh, tell us? <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 guest editing um, with Monroe Street, who's another um, writer and an analyst, uh, uh, an issue of Division Review on writing and psychoanalysis, um, okay. which okay. you know brings in contributions from many different angles. Um, but you know, I think in a way I was, uh, I mean, for me, much of this has to do with my fantasy, <laughs> my fantasies about writing, which. Ultimately, you know, and it was actually after the writing of the book that, uh, you know, it's only after an act that you can, I think, let go of the fantasy that was motivating it. So it was pre precisely in sort of, in, in a way, the, the effect of the book was to, and to title the book, The Writing Cure, the effect of it, uh, which was in part possibly also the aim of it, was to allow me to let go of the fantasy that writing could cure me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, which well, it, it's 
<laughs> yes, dear reader, at the end of the, at the end of the book, uh, the author, uh, you know, Emma Lieber, actually admits that she's still in analysis, right? So it's like page page one hundred thirty nine. It's like, dear reader, I married him. No, dear reader, I'm still I'm still in analysis um, because there, there's sort of like an anticipation. When I picked up the book, I was like, well, this is going to be a book that brings us to the end. That, that the writing, right? It's a, a, it, the writing is going to bring the author to a cure, mm-hmm. uh, and that would be a, a cure, actually, in some ways, outside of analysis. But I think what you've detailed is that, in part, in part, it it cured. There's you know analysis. There's many pieces of of cure, so quote unquote. And so you worked you worked a certain aspect of. Um, a piece of, of uh, something curative, I guess we could say, um, in, in the writing, mm. in the writing of this book. Um, I want to ask you, all right, the book is not dedicated to your analyst. It's dedicated to your ex-husband. And I, I was like, oh. <laughs> is there, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, what, where, and I, I didn't notice that at first. And then when I went back, I was like, oh, where's, the dedicate so I don't know if I want I I wondered about that I mean I I, I is this too personal I should, you you just you can just reject any question because you know to the listening audience um it's very 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 uh, uncommon becoming a little more common but uncommon right most analysts don't write about their analyses. I mean, I think this this book is just worth its weight. Well, it's a very light book, actually. I have, I have the heart, but it's it's worth it's worth its weight and more than gold because it show it it does as reading it as an analyst who resists writing on many different things. Um, I was like, oh, this is so. I, I mean, I I just en- I enjoyed your grappling with being an analyst and writing about your analysis. So please reject any question. Okay. But the question was, your, your analyst is not, uh, is not, not uh, sort of thank, given the thanks at the beginning of the book. I was curious about that. You know, it's funny. I mean, in a way, um, you know, the book also, and this is kind of part it stems from and, and works with and is inspired with and sort of of accord with a lot of, um, a lot of auto-theoretical writing that sort of work in the epistolary genre, um, you know, books like I Love Dick or um, Barbara Browning, who, whose book The Gift I work with, um, you know, and, or even, you know, even a lot of these uh, texts that aren't explicitly written as letters. Um, they're very interested in the notion of address um, and something of the 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 ethic of personal writing as it's woven into a lot of these texts. And as I found myself working with it, um, were the ethic was, was conditioned by some, something of a, of a real concern with address and what, um, what an address to the other does. And, you know, part of the reason that I think that something like auto theory could be considered a kind of quintessentially psychoanalytic form of writing. And that, you know, that also was a lot of, what I was trying to do um, in writing the book and what I found to be very important, you know, not only important to me, but something that I found that I really did want to transmit, um, you know, it into culture to the extent that, that people are thinking about what psychoanalysis has to offer. Um, And then also into the sort of the psychoanalytic field more generally that um, it does seem to me that, you know, in order 
look, writing is something that psychoanalysts do. Some do, you know, all of us, I think, not, well, not necessarily, but many of us bear some kind of relationship to writing. Um, in one way or another, we're very variously resistant or, you know, interested in it. But, um, you know, and to a certain extent, it goes back to the to Freud as a writer, to a certain extent, it um, is a question of psychoanalysis's place in the humanities and where it gets transmitted into culture. To a certain extent, it's a question of culture uh, of transmission simply more broadly and how to transmit psychoanalysis among each other and then beyond the field. Um, but that uh, it does seem to me that there has to be, if, if we're going to take on the project of transmitting something of what is quintessential about psychoanalysis and psychoanalysis as an act that we have to be able to find a, uh, a, a quintessential quintessentially psychoanalytic form of writing that it, it isn't quite enough to write about psychoanalysis in other ready-made um, discourses. It's not quite enough, at least for me to write about psycho like certainly you can write about psychoanalysis uh, academically or as a form of scholarship or as a, you know, as sort of, or clinically, you, you, you can absolutely do all of these things. You um, think, you think <laughs> yeah. oh, people do, as far as I know. <laughs> you think? No, 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 but I mean, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, but it did see, it did seem to me that, um, that, you know, there's something about finding new genres for ourselves as analysts um, that's very important. That you know, even to write a case study, for example. I mean, you see this in Freud that if you're if you're working ethically, if you're transmitting ethically, then every case is kind of a new genre. Um, you have you sort of have to find the genre that the case demands. And Freud, who was who was a writer, you know, really very much a writer, was was doing that. And you see. You know, you see the, the the Victorian novel, and you see the short story. You see, you know, all sorts of different genres that he's working with. Um, but that, you know, that auto theory as a genre is very interested in the notion of address, and that this is also something that psychoanalysis is obviously very interested in. Um, that you know, when you address that, what's somehow what's curative is to make an address to an other who is not just an other, but who is, you know, what Lacan would call the big other, that you're, you're addressing something radically other in your speech. And in so doing, you talk your way into something. Um, So, you know, the question of dedication, the question of address um, was, you know, very, was important to me. Um, But also the specific of, (laughs) of dedication or address you know, on the personal register, it was important. On the theoretical register, the specific address or addressee was also kind of beside the point because um, you're writing, you're writing to dear reader, right? You're writing to the big mm-hmm. audience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The um, the book is um, also details the dissolution of of your marriage, and I have to say the third section, um, not the third, I forget which, but uh, the gift. Um, so the book has sort of three for the, for the listeners, um, these themes that Emma works with the double first love and the gift. And she weaves, um, uh, she writes and weaves, uh, her sort of, ex- her thinking about psychoanalysis, her ex- 
her reading of, I think, authors that were very important to you, um, you know, as a, a person steeped in Russian literature, you know, I mean, you, you can, it's almost like a fair, it's like almost, I also read the book as like, I was like, oh, it's kind of like a farewell to a certain, a certain relationship to those, um, to those readings, to those, to those novels. But, um, oh, now I've just lost my point. Oh yeah. Okay. So we, so we're, the book, the book describes the, the end of a marriage. And I, each time I read the last four pages and which ends, the book ends with this poem by your ex-husband and the book also, it, it kind of reads like as a love letter to a person to your ex-husband. I mean, I, I, I see I tear up, but there's something that's so beautiful. I wish I could just read it to everyone, but it's like four or five pages and that gets a little difficult. We're here to interview and to talk. Um, it, it just, I don't know. I just wanted you to know that. I think I've said it once before, but it really captures. So in what, I guess in what you're talking about, trying to capture something of analytic experience, something of, of in, in a sense, what, it, you know, what, what analysis sort of, uh, not just unearths, but sort of the the way in which it sort of pulls you back and pulls you in at the same time. There were moments in the book where I I said, "Oh, this is this is what it, this is what analysis can can um, can feel like and can look like on the ground in real life." That that the infest you know, there's there's an infestation in the house as you two are preparing to separate. And the and you you work with it in a way that only someone with a lot of analysis, I think, I think would, um, which brings such which brought such um, such such sweetness uh, to, to such a such a you know dif- a difficult and sad moment, which leads me to this. There's a, a there's this in the book your voice, which I really enjoy strikes me as having a so <laughs> very sassy there's a lot of sass and but there's also sass and sadness mixed mixed together um and i don't have a question about that i just want to say that <laughs> to you and to the readers cuz sass and sadness together um i like sass and sadness together somehow i feel like you're you're in you're in you're in good honest hands when you have sass and sadness um, but that's not a question. I don't. I, I can mean, we turn think, that into a question? Yeah. Well, I, I like that way of phrasing it. I mean, it's it's lovely words. But uh, you know, because I think that's what analysis is. You know, I think that's actually the the register that you get to in analysis, or that, or or you sort of you know that analysis is happening, or has gone somewhere, has taken you somewhere where you, when you end up at the place where things are sort of very funny, you know, simultaneously, you, you, you start thinking of, <laughs> of, you know, your life or language itself, or the fact of speaking or the fact of analysis, you know, that you start thinking of it as both very funny and very sad at the same time. And that there's sort of no distinguishing between um, something absurd, and, you know, and, and the register of loss. Um, that and the, and then that that's the place where you start really speaking from, or at least that's what I've found, both you know in my work as an analyst and then in my own analysis that um, something's really happening when um, when the regist- when 
and that you're in the register of loss when it's also very, when there's something very funny about it, when it, it, it starts mm-hmm. to feel quite farcical. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Rather than uh, as a dead end or right. as, you know, one's banging, you're banging your head against the wall, hoping for something else. It's right. like, this is what, this, this is what, what it is. This right. is it. This know? is where we are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is where we are. And, mm-hmm. uh, as difficult as it may be, that's you know contending contending with loss and keeping on going. Um, in fact, in the in the book, I think you also uh, in the ep- ugh, the afterward epilogue, uh, you write something about um, not that you didn't address your father very much in this book, which is true, right? And I laughed because I rem- I recalled my own first analysis, and in five years, I think I, I didn't speak about my mother. I only spoke about my father. And I remember my analyst said to me, your, and your mother or something like that? And I was like, what? I mean, his timing was perfect because I was, after five years, ready to, to go there. But, um, and in the book, you kind of say, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you uh, if I have further thoughts. Um uh, regarding your, regarding your dad. Um, you know, if I was thinking that, uh, you're, you write in part about training and, you know, your dislike of the word training. Um, and, um, and I was thinking about, you know, you've trained, right. And you've graduated from an institute and I guess, you know, you sat, you know, for the, the LP and, and you sort of complete that entire process um, but I, I believe that, right. You're, you didn't, you trained, you know, like at an Institute that's not particularly Lacanian and you have a very strong interest in Lacan. And I was reading the book also thinking, oh, this is like interesting because it does function as an address to a community of people, right? Like the past. It's like, a, it's an, it, here is, you actually gave, to the community, whoever picks it up and reads it, who's an analyst, you know, this is, um, I thought, I, I, I wondered, like, it's almost like you've done two quote unquote trainings, like you've answered the Lacanian sort of um, you know, question of the past. And you've, of course, graduated from a more traditional institute that, that emphasizes training. Um, is that, was, I mean, is that in part how you see the book or? I think so. Yeah. You know, I, I think, look, I, you know, one has one amount or another of ambivalence towards, towards training or, you know, institutional psychoanalysis as, you know, as it has taken shape in the United States and elsewhere. Um, you know, my, you know, the position that I came to in doing training and, you know, getting the LP and, um, you know, in, forming myself in relation to the law, which one always has to in one way or another is, you know, it's sort of that, that um, one can't do without institutions. One finds one's place within them or vis-a-vis them or, you know, outside of them to whatever extent one wants to. Um, and that this is what, this is the, the, the position that I was going to be taking on. I was going to do this um, training uh, in whatever way it, fit or didn't fit me. And in a lot of ways, um, you know, maybe it didn't in certain ways, but that there was also something that for me had to be outside that, you know, there was something of um, my formation and my desire as an analyst that was going to be answered by um, working with 
Lacanians, working with Lacanian supervisors and, and colleagues mm -hmm. and um, being in reading groups, being, being in study groups, being in writing groups. And there was something of, you know, that my desire for psychoanalysis um, w was located there and that, you know, something of more my formation had to um, answer to that. And so the book was, um, was deep, was, I think you're right, working with that sort of vein of my formation with the understanding that um, graduation from an institute and getting the LP, uh, you know, those are logistical requirements, but they're also, you know, they're more than that as well. There, you know, there was something that was, there's something that's necessary for me in order to position myself in the social as an analyst by doing those things. But um, I also needed to attend to this other kind of formation and needed to find a way to make a self-announcement um, of myself, you know, that this is, a, I'm an analyst and this is the course that my formation has taken. This is how, what it has to do with my history. This is what it has to do with my symptom. This is what it has to do with my fantasy life, which I think in one way or another, an analyst has to find a way to art, articulate. It doesn't, um, you know, and th that's what I think something like graduation from an institute um, doesn't account for necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, there's something to, to be, to sort of ethically take on, assume, like assume the role of, of an analyst, which is a very specific thing to do you know i mean not not very many people do it these days it's you know and it, that it has to include some way of avowing um what the role of the analyst answers in yourself and you know what of your desire is um is accounting for your having chosen taking on this vocation and you know i certainly don't think it has to be done by writing a memoir or that it has to be done in, you know, you know, by getting really specific about your history, you know, that's a, a, a very personal choice. And the extent to which that's the choice that I made, you know, at certain times I find more horrifying than others, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but that it is something that you have to find a way to do in one way, I think in one way or another. Um, mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and this was my way of doing it. Well, you know, actually, um, it just got me thinking of something at where I'm on faculty at the Center for Modern Psychoanalytic Studies, there's a final paper, right? And mm -hmm. that final paper has undergone transformations. Um, I graduated, I think, in uh, 2013. And now, um, uh, much to my envy, um, <laughs> the paper has changed quite significantly. And the emphasis uh, in the paper, it used to be kind of like research question, and like you do a, you know, a narrative of the case and then you do literature review and then you, you know, sort of me research methodology, psychoanalysis as a research method, which, you know, I think is, is a you know, worthy question. And then you, you know, come up, you actually would show findings. I was driven insane because it was like, oh, this feels like math. I, I don't know what to do, <laughs> you know. I, I think I so freaked out um, about the about my my paper writing and was like, you know, like weeping on everyone's doorstep. Like I, you know, even as I say, I don't like to write. Like I can write, you know. Like mm -hmm. I'm somebody who can sit down and write. In fact, Emma and I have written something together. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> it was a letter, wasn't it? <laughs> we actually we actually wrote, <laughs> we wrote a letter. Maybe maybe we'll say a little bit about that. But the, <laughs> but anyway, this paper, the the final paper now. Um, 
you know, is, is so interesting because it's, it is about a case and it's about, and you know, moderns aren't relational people, you know, in that way of like, you know, this is what I brought to the situation, but it, the question that is asked and sorry, relational people, I know that was a massive reduction, but, but I'm just, you know, cutting to that chase. So, but the question is, uh, so what, what has, um, what has happened to you in your work with this, you know, like you're, you're with, with this case. And usually people have been with, you know, this, the patient probably four or more years, something like that. What has not just tell us about the case, but tell us about, and not so much, but it, it's an interesting question because it opens the door to show you to show, to like re- reveal the reveal, right. It's like, um, who, how show, show us, show us what goes on inside of you. Um, tell us about how, you know, this experience has impacted you in this time with this patient and um, the papers that are coming are good. It sounds to me, I mean, it's, it's, it's so nice because it sounds to me that it like it, that it also, that the reason it's that that's such an ethical question, I think is that it, it also troubles as psychoanalysis does that it troubles the status of the inside and outside. Um, that's something of the analysis that, that, that to, to sort of, to transmit something of the analysis, um, uh, you know, becomes a question. It's not so much a question of what's inside you and what's inside the patient or even, I mean, the relational field, well, maybe you can theorize it in various ways, but that, um, it, 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 it does justice to the act of transmission that psychoanalysis embodies. And then sort of mm-hmm. moves it on in the way you would give it to a committee. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really uh, it's it's kind of become a, a, a an exciting uh, endeavor, mm-hmm. um, I think, for candidates at CNPS because there's uh, you know it, it's right there's no like man behind the curtain. It's like you're you know <laughs> who are who you know what what's going on in the room that you're that you're in, not what's going on inside the patient only. But so I think it's freed people up. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that there may be some concern that now, you, you know, how things go when you make a change, right. At you know, so, something like this, you know, a graduation paper, you know, maybe things aren't quote unquote rigorous enough. We don't, I don't know what rigorous stands for really or what it means, but, you know, but I think you're in this book, you're trying to, you know, to, as you say, to trouble and to open up what is, what is psychoanalytic writing? Maybe we should, um, it would be interesting, um, you know, for you to see some of the, the final papers, which really are books. You know what I mean? They are books. They're just, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, where people end up. Um, so uh, I, this is a really cute question, but I have to ask it. Um, <laughs> I wrote, I was like, Oh, if this book is like a letter that always arrives at its proper destination. And in fact, your last words in the book are love, Comma, Emma, where would that destination be? You know, <laughs> I mean, this, it, no, no, it's a, it's lovely because you know a, le- a letter either does or doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is mm-hmm. the Derrida Lacan argument, yeah. and yeah. there's no, and that's what's I mean, you know, in a way, that's what's so, um, and I think that's something that I was trying to. It's something that auto theory does, and it's something that I found to be very important about um, kind of the intervention that psychoanalysis makes, where um, there's something about the way in which 
um, both psychoanalysis and auto theory sort of raise the dignity of the, the personal. They sort of, they raise the status of the personal to the structural. Um, it, there's, I, I use a, a quote and I go back to it very often, um, a quote in the preface that I write the preface from Roland Barthes, um, A Lover's Discourse, where he, he's writing about A Lover's Discourse in his preface. And he says, you know, this is, this book is a portrait, but it's not a psychological portrait. It's a structural portrait. Um, and so he makes this very sort of important and interesting distinction between um, where he's saying this is personal, but it's not psychological, it's structural. Um, you know, and and what that means is that, you know, that works in both directions, you know, that if something uh, that on the one hand, and, you know, this, I think, is is what psychoanalysis does, is it raises the personal to the, you know, to the status of the structural or to the status of the theoretical but it also does something to um, the status of theory um, that theory becomes something that, I mean, who knows theory becomes something that's written, let's say um, theory becomes something at the same time that it becomes something that's embodied. So, you know, if, you know, one can say a letter always arrives at its destination, but if that's in the context itself of letter writing where Derrida and Lacan are writing to each other in one way or another, and one is saying a letter always arrives and one is saying a letter never arrives, then that means something about what, about theory, <laughs> you know, that like that shifts the status of what, of what theory is. Um, or it, it sort of, it, it kind of lends a new angle onto our thinking about what critical theory is. So, um, so that I think in and of itself um, is something I was trying, I guess, to perform, you know, in terms of the specific question, what that means is that, you know, where does it, I mean, does it arrive or does it not? You know, I have, I, I really have no idea. Um, you sort of, you, you dispatch, you know, you, you send your, your, your address into the void and, um, you know, it, it both lands and it doesn't land and, you know, it lands where you want it to, or it doesn't. And, and it doesn't, um, you know, and my sense is that, um, you know, the, my sense is that in terms of the sort of the specifics of that performance, the book does both of those things. Um, I, I think, I think it, it's can land with some readers and it can really not land with other readers. Um, and I think that's actually important. I think that's, you know, not necessarily that that's what I was going for, but that I, I knew that that would be the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to say a little bit about ways of quoting, <laughs> ways of seeing? <laughs> you have such, I, I, I'm exactly the same. I'm like, why do I have to go back to the original if I read it here in the okay. context? So can you, can you share with the audience your thinking of it's Cause I think it's up in a way it's kind of uh, central or seems to me goes right to the heart of um, thinking about, auto theory, um, somehow this idea you have about quoting and, and borrowing and source and citing and citations. Um, I don't know. Is there, yeah, just, I just think it's really interesting what you're saying. I think it's something a lot of people grapple with and because we're all impacted by this surround of, of, you know, ideas and, and where do things come from? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, that was really important to me. I, it actually was surprisingly important to me <laughs> um, mm-hmm. in, in writing it. 
you know, and to a certain extent that this is, you know, just a matter of my history that I had gone through this long PhD program and I'd been an academic writer for so long. And, you know, so much of the labor of that, as much as you, you know, desperately don't want it to be is like tracking down sources and making sure your bibliography is in order and, you know, getting the page numbers right, et cetera, et cetera, um, which is important work and it's very important for scholarship. Um, but it also inevitably participates in the fantasy, which is the fantasy that psychoanalysis is, is you know, in, in one way or another trying to cut through, which is that anyone has the property rights over language. Um, you know, this is this is the, the juncture at which psychoanalysis is working, um, that, you know, language is, is shared and and you know, that words are common property. Um, so, you know, it did feel very important to me to somehow in my citation practices, like pay homage to that, to, to not, um, to do something different from what I've been doing as an academic writer, as a way of performing the difference that psychoanalysis makes in our understanding of language and our understanding of how words and writing and speech travel. And, you know, this is something that, you know, so for example, Maggie Nelson, um, you know, she has her own citation practice, you know, like she, she will be writing in the body and then in the margins, she'll just write the name of the author that she's getting her excerpt from, for example. Um, and there's something about that, that I find ex- like extremely compelling because it, um, not only because it's a it's a form of invention and it's a so there's something ethical about it that that you know she's sort of giving shape to her particular um, way of being let's say impacted by what she's reading but she's also per- and she's performing that um, in a way that's spe- that that's specific to her um, so she's transmitting something of she's transmitting not only the words of this other person but along the lines of the question that you know, your institute now poses its graduates, you know, she's, she's performing how these, how this reading or how this language has acted on her. And that that is then what she's transmitting that what then is gets moved along, which then will have a specific effect on her readers, which they can then <laughs> move along in whatever way they do. Um, so there's something that seemed to be very, it, it felt to me to be very ethical about that way of citing where um, your, uh, there's a, there's a way of, um, demonstrating, you know, that you're not only carrying forward the content of what someone else has written, but you're showing the effect, showing its effect on you. And so you're showing something of your own desire in the very sort of citation practice. Um, and that seemed to me to be a psychoanalytic way of citing. Um, and so, and it was then it's sort of important to me to find my own, <laughs> my own place in that, you know, not also just to, you know, um, do it the way other people have doing it, have done it, but to, to, to see how, um, see how I could do it in a way that I found to be, um, to do justice to the work that I was trying to do myself. Yeah, I know. I, I really like the idea very much because you know, there's something I was I was thinking as well. There's something about like reading, you know, some uh, you know an essay by Hegel, and then there's reading Hegel as quoted by Judith Butler, and it, it's not. I it's the same. You know, the same paragraph uh, in 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 the Hegel itself. I could just have 
breezed right through, not thought you know, twice about it. And when I read it in Butler and she's using it in a certain way, it opens up and like has, a, you know, a, you know, it, 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 it can capture my attention or my imagination. And, um, and so I, I thought you really, I, I loved that, you know, the way in which you were sort of arguing for, um, arguing for that, you know, or way of, um, sort of understanding how you right. Who owns, who owns the language? It's just, you know, it's, it's, and you also take up the issue of, of plagiarism. <laughs> you tell, you tell a personal story like, okay, right. You, I don't know what grade you're in. The teacher's like, okay, write a poem, bring it in. And I think you brought in Mary Chapin Carpenter or something. And I thought that was just like, so just so funny and you're like oh and then you had to then the teacher makes you stand before the class while not admitting your quote-unquote sin and and define and and tell this tell this uh, the other students what plagiarism is um right. just, which uh, you have to read from a dictionary <laughs> without without saying that that's what, what you're doing right so i mean there's <laughs> but that's the you know that's sort of the joke is that there's no way there's no way out of it, right? There's there's sort of there's no way out of the problem of plagiarism, but you have to find you have to find your own position in it. Like that's the way of not plagiarizing is to, you know, and that traditional citation practices somehow sort of obscure that problematic. Um, okay, we can you know we can put the citation practice on writing, and so we don't have to pay attention to the complexity of this. But you know that if you can find your own way of citing. Um, then you're you're uh, you're sort of paying homage to the common ground of language while also not not plagiarizing. And you know, I do have to say, I'm very grateful for to Bloomsbury for allowing me to do this. This um, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't necessarily their inclination, but they they listened. They they really listened um, to how how important this was to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh-huh. it's really appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but of course, right. Cause they've got, you know, sort of certainly have skin in the game, um, you know, as do, um, you know, all publishing houses about, about around this issue um, of sort of intellectual property, et cetera, et cetera. But in, in your, in listening to you right now, I just, I had the thought, I was like, Oh, right. I, I like, I don't think I wrote my dissertation in, it would have been in history because I don't, I was like, I can't do that. That's the one thing I couldn't do. The thought of going back and citing and, you know, in history, it's like, my God, you really, you know, those, those citations are so crucial. They're, they're the food, you know, they're the, like, this is, you know, we have, this is, this is what is, you know, this is what this is made up of. There's this quote, this is where I got it, et cetera. This is this, this artifact, this document. And the thought of that just made me like, I don't know. In fact, sort of, you write about the fear of your, of going blank. It sort of made me go blank. Like I'm just, I never, I never had enough, you know, of an, like an obsessional part, you know, it's it's just been missing. If I'd had it, I maybe (laughs) I would have, would have been able to to, to, to see it through anyway. But I, but I, I just, you know, I just thought it was wonderful that it it was just, to me, it was just like from, I encountered it as like a new idea you know, in what you wrote. And I always appreciate um, a new idea of something that I is sort of shadowing me or has shadowed me in life. And I was like, yeah, thank you for that. So is there anything we didn't get to? There's a lot we didn't get to, but is there anything that, you know, you wanted um, to touch on before we bring the interview to a close? 
Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I guess I've, I'm not sure how much time we have. There's, there's something, I guess I'm, I've been thinking a lot recently. I think I was, I was certainly thinking about it in the writing of that book. And then, you know, I've been thinking about it, um, recently a lot, this question of, I guess, of sort of where and how psychoanalysis gets transmitted to the broader culture. Um, you know, I guess who we write for and then who we speak for, but, um, you know, and I, I know you do a lot of teaching and I, you know, I do, I teach too. I teach to undergraduates at the new school. And, um, and I think that, you know, part of the ethic that was motivating the book also was, um, you know, I think on one register it was made, it was written for psychoanalysts to the extent that, um, you know, there was some way in which I, I wanted to write myself into the psychoanalytic community. But, um, I think I was also very much writing for non-analysts, people in adjacent fields, people who sort of have a curiosity about psychoanalysis um, as a way of trying to, as a kind of invitation um, and as a way of trying to transmit something about what psychoanalysis um, does, what it's, what it's action is, you know, for those who are sort of, who are curious. And I've found that recently in teaching undergrads, um, you know, who come in with more or less curiosity about psychoanalysis, you know, often who are literature majors or in the arts, um, some who are in psychology, but not always all that many, um, that there's, you know, I mean, it's actually been extremely heartening recently that um, it has seemed to me that there's a real hunger for psychoanalysis and that um, there's a, a sense that psychoanalysis really offers something different that they're not getting elsewhere. Um and so it's it started to seem this, this something of a project of transmitting psychoanalysis, um, you know, beyond the the psychoanalytic field, you know, into culture, into the arts, which is you know to a certain extent where analysis has lived, you know, at different times, um, has started to feel very very important to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's you know, the question of like the transmission with the undergraduates. I'm just yeah. I was just like trying wrapping my mind around that. I mean, I don't know what the format is uh, at the new school. I mean, certainly at CMPS, the, the, the sort of um, uh, the pedagogy, I mean, in the classroom is an, a psychoanalytic pedagogy where students show up and they haven't done the reading. Then there's a interesting, something interesting is happening in the room for instance, and the, or if the reading, or if only one aspect of the reading can be attended to, and the class sort of all veers as you know, groups do sometimes, you know, in one direction or another, it's, you know, working as an analyst to intervene and to ask questions that, um, you know, may um, help the group, the students, and one student, you know, many students sort of you know, have, have that moment such as, you know, you write about the moment of being on the couch and saying, so confined in this marriage and sitting up and it's like, you know, you can, there, there are those, those interventions, which do provide, I mean, I don't know, just thinking about it, sort of the experience of I'm, I'm saying more than I knew I was saying, or I'm working hard to not say something, um, which I think you see, you see in the classroom, I'm working hard. I'm working hard to make sure I work around saying, let, letting some cat out of the bag, um, you know, and yeah. 
And that's then what, I mean, you know, this says, you know, it, it was important to me to find a sort of psychoanalytic position as a writer. And I think it's important for all of us also, to the extent that we teach, to find a psychoanalytic position as teachers, which I think is part of what you're describing, you know, like how can we set, attend to what happens in the classroom psychoanalytically and how is that then a form of teaching psychoanalysis? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right. With students who feel that they have to, to ma- you know, often come, you know, as, as, as you describe in your own experiences, I've experienced myself as a student, like I, I need to know. And then in the sort of a psych- thinking psychoanalytically, um, there's, there's something else to knowing. And it's not about knowledge. And, you know what I mean? It's not, I, I, you know, I love this, I interviewed Leo Bersani uh, quite a long time ago, and he said, you know, something like, well, knowledge is not exactly intimacy. And I, I that's such a beautiful line. And it's so, it's so helpful. Knowledge is not exactly intimacy. I was like, yeah, in fact, it's like quite, quite aggressive and like, you know, could be the, the antithesis of, of intimacy. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm inter- I mean, I am interested in thinking about sort of this question, this pedagogy, this, how is it transmitted via writing, via teaching, via, you know, speaking, being in the world or at the nail salon. Um, so that's where I'm often my most, at my, it's my, uh, my psychoanalytic best. Um, anyway, I, I think we, I think we have to stop. I want to thank you so much, um, for taking the time to, uh, to be here with us. And, um, I think that, um, you know, is the other book out yet? The Queerness of Childhood? Because I think it's June. It's due out. It's June. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's right. So um, I have a feeling that um, there could be an interview in the future there for you and Anna here. Um, Anna is a former, former host and uh, on, on, the, uh, on the podcast as well. So that would be exciting. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you to the listeners. Um, and, again, we've been speaking with uh, Emma Lieber on her book, The Writing Cure. Okay, until next time. Thanks, Tracy. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks, Emma.